0: Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi,
1: I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders.
2: It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revelle.
3: Red Bull dominate even if they were their own worst enemy in Tassie. Uh,
4: yesterday we, we, we dug ourselves out of a big hole.
3: Coulthard's confident heading into Winton. I think we've got a very good race car and we've proved that you know, quite a few times. And Jack Perkins
5: talks about his return to the series and managing diabetes. It's always about knowing where your blood glucose level is and just making sure you're at no risk to not only yourself but to the competitors around you.
3: That's all coming up today as the lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders.
2: You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Here's the
3: news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Jamie Wincup dominated the Simmons Plains weekend with two wins and three pole positions, but the contact with his teammate Craig Lowndes soured what was a very successful Saturday.
0: The Second race is certainly more straightforward than the first race. Um, as said, uh, Lounds and I've been we've been battling hard for for eight years or so now, and uh, yeah, we've never we've we've escaped an incident for that long, and unfortunately, it happened today, and uh, hopefully, it never happens again. But uh, uh, both cars are very quick the, the engineers have done a superb job getting both cars extremely fast and um yeah as far as second race goes we were uh we we got, I got a much better start which certainly helped and uh yeah it's classic um triple eight versus fpr battle which we've been doing for for many years around
6: here
3: frosty winterbottom like the two red bull drivers going at it but was worried about what could be the outcome when the dust settled.
6: It'd be good to see the stewards when Roland goes to the stewards. Who does he favour? Who does he go for? Does yeah. he go for you, or does he go for Lounds? Like, probably will get penalised, probably, but um, <laughs> for just being on for being on his track or something. But that um, no, it was it was good. It's good to see them racing, and that's what you want. You don't want two blokes just puttering around. And they got very quick cars. But um, Craig wants to win. Jamie wants to win, and. They should be let loose and that was, it was good to see, but uh, you don't want to see a car off the track but they should be able to race hard and that's what you know. That's what the fans want to see, they don't want to see two cars formation finishing, I think it's good.
3: Whittenbottom also said that he thought the Triple Eight pair were winning with plenty up their sleeves.
6: I think Craig showed his true pace and I think they're just fluffing around at the front sometimes and <laughs> when he has to pass he, he pushes the nice and off he goes, so... I think if he had to pull the trigger he might have been okay but would have made the car wide and made him fight for it but um, they are quick and we're just trying to do the best job we can.
3: Fabian Coulthard's third place in race six continued to show that the Lockwood Racing driver would be a factor in this championship fight. Now, the
7: big focus for me at the moment is the qualifying, I think we've got a very good race car and we've proved that you know quite a few times this this year already so... We just need to uh, keep it going.
3: Leon's fight back from a technical breach was one of the most impressive drives of his career.
4: Uh, you know, Starting at the back of the grid, it wasn't, uh, wasn't where we wanted to be or needed to be, but, uh, but really it's one of those things that uh, you know, I think we, we made the car speedy where we needed it to be in the back straight, and uh, you know we were able to capitalise on, on, on positions where we needed to be, and uh, you know we, we dug ourselves out of a big hole.
3: Sunday and Craig Lowndes rebounded with a win. Making a good start was the key to which Red Bull car
4: would get the preferred pit strategy. Um, It's just a matter of who got to the, you know, basically the lead of the race. And, uh, uh, you know, as I said, we we got a really good start. I'm not sure what it was, but it was a really good launch. And, uh, you know, um, we got into turn turn one, turn two. And uh, as we got into the hairpin, we just put a head down and try to get a gap, uh, knowing that Jamie was going to pit because that was the strategy was. Um, then Scotty was, was, was third but was going to be second and, uh, of course, just try to really, as I said, knuckle down and get, get, some, get, get some clean air between us and him, and we uh, were able to do that. Jamie Wincup finished second and
3: was asked if there was much yelling by Roland Dane in the trailer after the contact had been made.
0: No, there wasn't, there wasn't yelling. We just needed to sort it. Of, it was an awkward situation, one of the most awkward we've had. Uh, we just needed to sort it out straight away.
3: James Courtney secured two podiums over the weekend, with a third on Sunday, capping off another solid weekend. He's still looking forward, though, to more development in the cars.
8: The race positions probably uh, share you, and it's a good reflection of where we're at. We're not as quick as them. Um, we've still got a lot of work to do. We had uh, a few few little things on the car this weekend, which I feel improved the car. I think um, the car was a lot better than what we had at, at Um But... You know, it's, it's still a, a, a big hill to climb to get uh, to be able to challenge these guys legitimately on track performance without them dropping the ball at the moment. So, uh, we've got our head down, we know what we have to do, and um, yeah, the good thing is that there's, there's, someone's turned on the light in the dark and we're now uh, all pointing in the right direction and, and chasing it down. So, um, you know, I think we're a lot better balanced. Uh, focused team at the moment, and um, you know there's so many things in the pipeline, which is uh, which is good. We just can't get them on the car quick enough, or you know man hours to build them. So, uh, like I said, they're still clearly the benchmark and and what we're chasing.
3: Will Davison's fourth place on Sunday continued Erebus's rise in performance. The result equaling the team's best so far.
7: You know I've come into this year with a a certain mi- mindset, and uh, it's you know really a challenge that I'm really enjoying i've thrown myself 110 percent into into a project that i knew had mass potential that was going to take a little time to put all the the jigsaw together and um you know we're really starting to reap some rewards very early in the season so um yeah fantastic um we know how much more we've got to come i think compared to some other people and uh, really enjoying the vibe and the culture in the team. It's a, it's a unique for the V8 Supercar pit lane.
3: Lee Holdsworth also feels that the car is getting closer. It's promising signs for the team, and
1: obviously starting up the front, you can keep out of trouble a little bit more as well.
3: Scott McLaughlin in the Volvo again spent the weekend in the top five.
1: At the end of the day, it, it's you know it's only our really our third meeting, so fantastic for uh, you know the, the boys at Volvo Polestar Racing and also uh, Volvo Racing Garryam. It's something that's uh, you know we've got those first couple of races behind us you know, tough tracks and hopefully next week at Winton which I think might be a bogey track for us, hopefully we can just get through that and get on with the season
3: Ryan Madison talked to the V8 Insiders about the reduction of practice time on Friday and how it saves the team money
0: Considering it's it's an Erebus Motorsport outfit, there's, yeah. there's no uh, factory involvement for us but um our operational costs are also quite high, considering a lot of our componentry comes, and, as we've documented through last year, comes from overseas. So when you add air freight and things like that to it, uh, it gets fairly expensive. But, yeah, to answer your question, reduced track time for us does save money. It's as simple as that between, uh, you know, lifing of components, uh, brakes, fuel from every, every single angle. If you don't turn the ignition key...
3: And send it out, you know, for multiple laps. It definitely saves teams money. Scott McLaughlin thought that it did have an impact on drivers. I don't think it's harder for our team. It's probably harder
1: for my teammate, but yeah, it is. It's, it's. I think it's harder for most teams. I mean, you got to get try and get a balance and a good, you know, balance in the car. And it's almost if you got a bad car at the start of the session, you can't really change that much because you're going to be like two minutes to go and you know stuff like that. So it depends on how big the change is. So oh, I'm keen to go back to you know even just 30 minutes was good and knocking them back maybe doing two of those instead of you know three of those because the 20 minute session is so hard to get in you know and then there's an hour between each one
3: nick perk had however disagreed with it having any impact
8: no, nothing we my eyes are all employed here because we can do the job and it shouldn't matter if you get 20 minutes half an hour two hours you should be able to get a handle on the car and a handle on the track in that time so to me i actually like it because it gives you the Probably the other guys less time to get on top of it and um, we seem to find that set up pretty quick, so no, I'm enjoying it.
3: Will Davison said the changes do make it harder for their team to develop their cars.
7: I don't agree with it. I don't know, really, I really don't know who, who came up with that. I mean, I don't know how much money each team's going to save by limiting laps. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. Um, but it is what it is. It doesn't bother me. I mean, it's uh, same for everyone. You paid the same? yeah get paid the same it's just silly yeah it certainly um, it hurts the new people that need more track time for, like me but um, you know I think trying to encourage young drivers or rookies it's just it's pathetic for, for them for me I'm quite experienced so um, you know we get up to speed but uh, yeah, I think there are other ways in saving money um, you know I don't know <laughs> if we're going to do we may as well cut test days altogether and then have the Friday of every race as a full test day you know so um, anyway it is is what it is doesn't bother me just roll with it i've got many other things to worry about at the moment
3: uh, that i'm working on so um here's what it is for now one aspect that was affected by the change was for racefuels.com.au who supply fuel to the teams they brought enough fuel to tasmania for the original program and when the changes by v8 supercars were not communicated to the supplier before it had to be sent it meant that they'd have to pay for the fuel to be returned to the mainland Mark Turney explains.
2: No, we certainly we won't be leaving it for next year. But I'll try and find a local market for it. Um, we'll look at freighting it back to Melbourne at our expense. There will be that little bit more fuel left over because we have dropped effectively an hour of track time, which we had budgeted for and had fuel for, because of the costs and the uh, the budgets are fairly important to
9: us.
3: Craig Lowndes talked to the V8 Insiders about Tapegate where the tape covering an opening on the side windows that allow emergency crews to reach in and rip out that window if required was covered over on his car in qualifying on Saturday.
10: Yeah,
4: look, you know, everyone sort of you know, tries to get the car better for qualifying. Um, I leave that up to JJ. I don't do his job. He doesn't do mine. But uh, look, I didn't realise or didn't know that, that there was going to be an outcome the way it was. If uh, we knew we were going to start at the back of the grid, I wouldn't have qualified. would have saved some tyres. would have made my life a lot easier. But it's just, for me, that's, that's a decision that they, obviously they've made. I can't understand it. I don't agree with it. Uh, and it's just one of those things that, like, for a bit of sticker across a, a, a hole that you can quite easily put your hands still through, um, I think it, it, it's... it's it's almost a laughable matter. Um, look, it, it, we had to say we had to dig ourselves out of a big hole. Um, JJ does his job. You know, I don't, I don't uh, uh, begrudge him. I don't don't uh, blame him for it. You know, we're all trying to race and trying to race hard, and uh, you know, he, he's got his job to do, and I think he did it well.
3: Interestingly enough, Jamie Winkup didn't run the tape and said that he and his engineer didn't really even discuss it beforehand.
0: Uh, it's something we didn't know about. No, it's uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Not sure what happened there, but. Um, yeah, yeah, that's for the uh, that's for the boys to decide. Yeah, I'll stay out of that one.
3: Both Fabian Coulthard and Jack Perkins discussed heading to Winton this weekend and the lack of home ground advantage they perceive at the circuit. Oh, look, you know, the test track advantage, you know, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, so we just go week in, week out, you know, we go race by race. and Chaz Mostard is hoping that they can find the consistency to move forward as he comes to the track which he has raced at previously in the main game.
7: Oh, look, you know, the test track advantage, you know, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, so... I'm just, we just go week in, week out, you know, we go race by race. And...
5: It is our test track, but the Victorian teams are at a hell of a disadvantage because we don't get the opportunity to test there because of the schedule before we race there. So that, to me, is a, is a big disadvantage. But, you know, I was on pole there in the DVS car last year, so pretty confident I know my way around the track.
3: That's the news on the v Insiders, brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. It's www.nobrac.com. After the break, Peter Norton and Chad Nalan will discuss the weekend on and off the track.
10: News on the V8
2: Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing – Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.
3: Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders as we look back at the weekend in Tassie with series V8 supercar commentator Chad Nalan. Great to have you on the show for the first time. Thanks, Craig. Good to be here. It was a pretty big
9: weekend in Tassie and uh, definitely lots to talk about.
3: Yes, uh, joining us as well from Inside Motorsport, it's Peter Norton. And uh, Peter, well, last week, of course, on Inside Motorsport, the show celebrated 20 years, of which I think you've been involved for about 18 of them.
10: Uh, yes, uh, you can't get rid of me, can you? <laughs> it's a bit like that indeed.
3: <laughs> Guys, uh, let's talk about Red Bull's domination, Chad, because it was absolutely like those two, uh, blue, red and Yellow cars were on rails all weekend. They they were such the class of the field.
9: Yeah, it was pretty scary, wasn't it? Uh, the only time they weren't on rails is when they were getting their rails crossed up down there in turn six, but it didn't look like anyone was going to be able to stop them. I'm glad that Craig Lowndes got away with a win for the weekend, seeing as, you know, he definitely deserved one after the, the epic drive from the back and then also the uh, the problems with, you know, him and Cup coming together. But you know what's funny? We, we talk about how much they dominated, but they only got one one two victory for the whole weekend.
3: That's right. And, uh, Peter, you likened the Craig Lounge drive from the back to the front to another one that you saw, what, about 2002?
10: Uh, well, exactly. Uh, and I was referring to uh, when the, the V8 series came to uh, sunny Canberra uh, when the weather wasn't so sunny in the middle of winter, and the Canberra track was notoriously uh, narrow and very difficult to pass, and uh, it was really uh, Marcus Ambrose and Craig Lowndes that proved that with the uh, uh, reverse grid races, as they had uh, as race number two of three back then, um, that everyone that was bleating about reverse grid was impossible at a track like that. Uh, they drove through the field. Uh, they showed it, it could be done. Um, took a bit of bravery and very good cars and a lot of risk, uh, but uh, yeah, that they showed that they were a step above uh, some of the others. And uh, Craig Lowndes did the same uh, on Saturday. what a great drive mm.
3: and interestingly enough, the crowd wasn't as vehement against uh, uh, against Jamie Wincup Chad as we'd seen in Adelaide because even when he punted off uh, Craig Lowndes the crowd <laughs> didn't go uh, feral on him although social media did funnily enough
9: yeah it's an interesting point I guess when you you know you've got the massive grandstand of Adelaide and you feel like you're almost sitting underneath that grandstand in, in pit lane. Um, I wasn't on the hill on the weekend to be able to comment whether or not the, the Tassie folk were really getting rolled up, but you can imagine every time something goes against Lowndes, the whole world's going to cry cry anger, and then vice versa with Wing Cup and it just happened to be two in one day. So Wincup got the better of that decision, and Lowndes got burnt severely with the whole tape gate or sticker gate, whatever you want to call it. So... Um, Maybe, you know, and personally, with the whole wink-up and the hatred and all this, I think it's a bit un, unjustified anyway. And it probably just goes to show what, uh, just what a champion that he really is. You know, footy players, the best footy players get booed. The best cricket players get booed. I don't know why we do it in this country, but it just seems to be the way. So hopefully Jamie takes it more of a, a compliment.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, Tapegate, Peter, was an interesting one. Now, interestingly enough, we look back at your photos and the stickers... The sticky tape, if you like, was on the car in practice one. It's just no-one saw it until practice two.
10: Yes, that's right. It's always fascinating to go back into the uh, the, the, the fine print, so to speak, uh, uh, the, the photographic evidence. And, uh, um, yes, it was there for both sessions, and I guess a, a protest wasn't raised in time to affect the, uh, uh, the, the standing of the, the qualifying one. Uh, of course, for qualifying two... Lowndes did get bumped to the uh, the back of the field, and uh, I think they've created a you know a, a lot of debate. Uh, and as Chad was saying, Craig Lowndes being the popular favourite, uh, people couldn't uh, uh, accept that, uh, that there'd be anything willingly done. Uh, that it had to be a big mistake or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, the decision stuck.
3: And whilst this wasn't as uh, wasn't as heated and wasn't as uh, perhaps. Uh, wasn't as uh, ethereal, Chad, as what we had in the time when we had the uh, shock dampers on the front nose when it blew up at Winton a few years ago. This one was pretty cut and dried. No one could argue with it uh, too much, although, of course, uh, Craig and and Mark Dutton were arguing that uh, (laughs) it, it was their interpretation of the rules, which the steward's interpretation was different and obviously they didn't agree with it.
9: Yeah, I tell you what, I reckon Mark Dutton's got a pretty good life as a lawyer after he because supercars, because he, he seems to find himself in an awful lot, of, uh, awful lot of arguments at the moment, and he seems to raise some really good points every time he does that. In Adelaide, we had the, you know, if the car controller touches the car, does that count as working on the car? Now we've got, you know, is a hole still a hole if it's covered by a bit of tape? It's uh, getting all a bit philosophical in the V8 supercar land at the moment. But, um, look, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, they broke a couple of infractions here. One, it was a safety infraction, and two, it was a reduction of aerodynamic drag, which I think is a little bit crazy. Uh, I feel like if, if, if a team are going to break a safety infraction, that's worthy of disqualification, but if it's something as minute as any aerodynamic gains that you would get out of having a hole covered up,
10: disqualification is just absurd. Mm, i'd I'd actually disagree with that one a little bit we we know that for qualifying that the the teams put the uh, the blanks in uh the the big air scoops at the front of the car um you know that they blank off various parts of the car because of the uh, aerodynamic effects um in qualifying people don't drive around with their windows open um (laughs) every every little bit uh, that they do, particularly on, on a track that has long, fast straights, like uh, Simmons Plains has, um, yeah, you, you're going to chase every little bit, uh, even if it's a you know, fraction of a second, because 0.6 of a second takes you from 1st all the way to back into the 20s. Mm. And, uh, mm.
3: The other fascinating thing too is that we had a situation there where the two cars that are identical but for the driver and setup was... Jamie Wincup and Craig Lowndes. Jamie Wincup didn't have this tape on there, and yet he was the pole sitter three from three on the weekend. So um, perhaps that also says something about the psyche in the team that uh, JJ and Craig are looking for every possible advantage to get past their teammate.
9: Maybe, maybe. I want, I'd love to know what the actual numbers are. Uh, for, you know, just how much gain it is. Like Peter says, any tiny little thing that you can find here and there, I guess it would all add up. And like you mentioned, the six-tenths, I mean, that covered the entire field in, in the second qualifying session for race number five, point six four of a second between Wing Cup and Dalga in first and 25th. So, I guess, it, I guess it definitely adds
3: up. Yeah, it does indeed. Now, when we... Racing aside, there's a whole bunch of teams that are, are battling out for the next best, and at the moment it still looks like it's two Holdens, Peter, HRT and BJR, and probably BJR have their nose in front, but HRT are closing.
10: Yeah, the HRT lack the consistency. I mean, we saw uh, James Courtney take out a, a race win at Clipsal, and uh, you know how, how exciting that was, uh, but then he qualifies a bit weaker and ends up in the wars and yeah he doesn't have the consistency whereas Fabian Coulthard of course uh, has been the, the consistent performer um you know just behind the, the red bulls and i think that's the difference uh, jason bright a little bit uh, inconsistent uh, and of course the the accident at, at adelaide but he but he still had a bit of speed so uh yeah i think you're right that brad jones racing has the nose in front but it's consistency rather than outright speed
3: and it is, a, it, it is a tough one, because James Courtney, who won Clipsal, had two from three podiums chaired, is, uh, is still racking in some good points, even when he's saying the car is still not not there.
9: Yeah, I don't know what's going on with HRT just yet. I mean, we're, we're yet to see much from Gas. just yet. He made the top 10 shootout in Adelaide, but we know that his qualifying speed has uh, a little bit off for the last sort of 12 months or so, um, hard to see exactly where HRT are, I mean, they've got the advantage of, you know, pulling together now with Tim Slade and also Nick Perkett, so that'll eventually be something of an advantage, but, um, you know, I think we're kind of forgetting a few things when we look to to see who's the next best in line to, to take it on to Red Bull, I think uh, Giz is being a bit overlooked here, I mean, he absolutely annihilated everyone at the Australian Grand Prix, albeit, you know, it's just a... Hit out more than anything. He really did smash the field there. Apart from one broken anti-roll bar ruining a perfect 10 for him, um, and then the Volvo, you know, the Volvo would be the other one that I'd look to at the moment for being uh, the real challenges. Any possible car that could take it Red Bull, I'd put the two on equal pegging, if not slightly, ahead of Bradford's Racing and maybe even up there with HRT at the moment.
3: Mm. Well, what is interesting about Scott McLaughlin and the Volvo, Chad, is that he did not finish out of the top five all weekend and uh, Craig Lowndes has been adamant that, you know, they've got the speed, they need the consistency. Well, if you're top five every outing, then that's the sort of consistency you need to be a championship contender.
9: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, they'll get race wins as well all the way, but the problem is reliability isn't going to come overnight. You've got a Volvo engine developed by Yamaha that's new to the car, new to the series. Uh, there's all these other things that you know they'll bolt on around them, like you know the power steering racks and the whole power steering system, which let them down on the weekend. It's a triple eight engineering part, but you're still going to make it sync up to the chassis and to the engine, and it all has to work as one big happy family. Uh, that's what was getting them down on the weekend. But I mean, Scotty put that thing on the second row in qualifying. That thing has bucket loads of speed, and then they finally fixed the, the fixing. Uh, they finally fixed their steering issues and unfortunately he bent the steering in the last race and that's why he was kind of driving in his mirrors for the rest of the race but that thing is seriously
3: quick Mm, yeah it is indeed and uh, it's going to be one that's going to be fascinating to watch and particularly as we talk parody in the next segment which is coming up right after this break here on the v8 insiders
2: controversy corner is next when we return with more on the v8 insiders find out more about your favorite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the v8 insiders
1: Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders.
3: Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. where Chad Nalen and Peter Norton. Join me, Craig Ravel, And uh, you were talking about the speed of the Volvos. Uh, we saw the two sophomore teams, Chad, in Erebus and Nissan. Erebus were buoyed by the end of the weekend and their fourth-place finish. And, of course, a win in the GTs at Sandown didn't help their uh, mood, <coughs> anything at all. But uh, they were buoyed by that fourth-place finish for Will Davison. Meanwhile, the Nissens had a, a, you know, a horror story it, with their four cars nose to tail, nineteenth, twentieth, twenty-first, twenty-second. I think if I looked at the timesheets.
9: Yeah, it wasn't happening for Nissens the weekend. I'm not really sure as to what it was. I mean, yes, we can look at the fact that it's a track that has prominently long straights and sharp stops, which typically didn't suit the Nissens last year, and probably hasn't fixed it completely coming into it this year either. Uh, but, you know, I think more than just performance of the Nissan, you've got to look at the teams uh, as well. I mean, Caruso, for example, he there was there, were are practice sessions, but his two qualifying laps that he put in in qualifying for race four and five were slower than his practice times. So that goes to show that maybe they were being hampered by the shorter practice times, maybe, or uh, maybe he couldn't quite get that lap. But if there's ever a track which is going to punish you for making the tiniest, not even an error, just not driving the thing 100% in qualifying, it'll be Simmons Plains. And I think that's what ultimately bit them. I mean, he found something like three-tenths. I'm talking about Caruso here. He found like three-tenths for that sixth um, race, six qualifying session. So that was a massive step forward for them by that stage. But that... <laughs>
3: You're just breaking up there, Chad. I don't know. The reception there just might be a a bit ordinary. Peter, do you want to just uh, chip in about Erebus and Nissan?
10: Um, Yeah. What's quite notable uh, with the Nissans is that, as you pointed out, Craig, that they were essentially nose to tail at the back. Um, So you can't really say that someone was unlucky, um, you know, had a one-off misfortune for the whole squad to be consistently, uh, you know, there... They all finished one lap behind. Um, It shows that there's some sort of systematic uh, weakness that uh, Simmons' planes uncovered.
3: Mm. Well, Chad, they go to winter next weekend, and of course they had a 1-2 finish there last weekend.
10: (laughs) They'll
9: be hanging to get to winter, I can guarantee you of that, because where they're looking at the championship standings from the team's point of view, the Norton Hornets, they're sixth at the moment, uh, and the Jack Daniels cars are eighth. Now, that actually leaves them last out of all of the two-car teams. Which is uh, pretty dismal at the moment, especially considering how, well, at least Rick Kelly was really good in Adelaide. Um, you know, he had the thing in the top five of the championship by the time they got down to the city. so. Definitely, they'll be looking forward to getting down to a track that's short, sharp, and pokey like Winton, and hopefully we get to see them back to the front because they've got a new incoming CEO and in Richard Emery who took the time to uh, get to know some of the media in down there in Phillip, uh, Phillip Island, down there in Simmons Plain and uh, he's going to be on the job in a couple of weeks, so hopefully they can get a couple of results for the...
3: That's right. And, uh, look, interesting, before we head up and talk about Winton, let's talk about a couple of the issues at the track on uh, the weekend. Now, the Tassie contract, Peter Norton, came to an end on Sunday night. Is there any chance you you could see them not returning to Tassie?
10: Uh, I think it's an extremely low probability that they won't reach terms. Uh, I think... Uh, it's in everyone's interest to re-sign that contract. Um, the, there's the public support in Tasmania. Um, you know, the, the, the new government, I think, has a few challenges of how to uh, uh, stimulate the economy and make the, uh, the population feel good. Um, now, obviously, the dollars are going to be tight in a, an economy like Tasmania, but uh, I expect that they'll find a way uh, because it is such a popular event. Uh, I think V8 supercars... Uh, likewise, not in a position where they—they, they, you would expect them to play real hardball. Um, yes, they want to grow internationally, but until they have firm offers from overseas races, uh, you've got to keep your calendar full with the uh, the local races. And I think it'd be very embarrassing to uh, contract the number of rounds at, at this point. Uh, so I think that uh, both would come to the, the meeting table uh, with a mindset of. Uh, Uh, let's be careful about the dollars, uh, but let's make a deal.
3: Mm, Chad, do you see uh, Tassie's only threat is overseas and that's not until there's an overseas race? Uh,
9: Yeah, I mean, well, James Warburton said in Adelaide that he's he's looking at three overseas races for next year. Um, I can't see anything on the calendar now that would be threatening for Tassie's spot. I mean, 52,000 people showed up at that race on the weekend, so it's definitely got the public support, like uh, like Peter was mentioning. We had the new Prem-elect in Will Hodgman coming down for the weekend, and he was walking around with James Warburton on pit lane, and they're having a good chinwag about all things. I think, from what I could tell, the government are looking for a five-year deal for that extra security. V8s want three years plus some upgrades to the track, and I hear that some more land has been purchased. Uh, by, I think, was it Tasmania Motorsport or something along those lines? Mm. Well, the, the mindset of expanding the track a good 800 metres or at least 800 metres worth of land has been purchased. I think down here is where the hairpin is. So, there's every chance of expanding the track. I mean, that opens up the, uh, the conversation of where, how do you expand Simmons Plains? Could you ever get rid of that wicked little hairpin? Because it's one of the most famous corners in the country. So, I don't know how they'd go about expanding it, but I think if I uh, had to, lay my last 10 bucks on it, I'd say would be going back to Tasey next year and for the next at least two years after that.
3: Yeah, well, Peter, uh, Simmons Plains, this was your first weekend there and you can see why I keep raving about going down there and having a great time. And, uh, in fact, out of all the tracks that didn't get, that weren't basically Clipsall or Bathurst, it was the one track that got a vote by a member of the v Media Association as to uh, being one of the best events of the year.
10: Yeah, uh, with regard to expanding the track, um, don't mess with it. It's not broken. Um, it has a, a, a really nice vibe about the event. Um, the, the punters on the hill can see nearly the whole circuit. Uh, the cars come around every 50-odd seconds, so um, there's plenty of excitement, plenty happening in front of the punters. Uh, it's, it's unique in its, uh, you know, its size and, and that atmosphere. And I think to try to make it something, uh, you know, like a, you know, dare I say, you know, an Eastern Creek, you know, make it bigger, make the cars go and race over the over the crest of the hill where people can't see it. Um, that's going to actually going to detract from the uh, spectacle, I think. Um, Sure, there's, uh, some of the facilities could be a little bit better, um, a little bit glossier, but I don't think extending the track really is the answer there.
3: Yeah, I'm with you, Peter. I think that track is unique. It is really, Chad, Australia's only speedway event in V8 <laughs> supercars because that's what it's like. You you cannot afford to make a mistake, otherwise you go a lap down. You can't afford to miss your setup or you go a lap down. It's It's that cutthroat. Yeah, touring car tracks
9: are meant to be small. I, see, I feel in nature. Okay, it's great that we get to go to Bathurst and we see them run over, you know, this great distance. But 2.4 k's is such a great distance for a for a little track, uh, which has saloon style, sedan style cars in it. You know, that look at Brands Hatch. Everybody likes seeing cars run around the Brands Hatch Indy Circuit, not the big extended, you know, Grand Prix circuit. You want to see them in close quarters the whole time. When you have 25 cars going around a 2.4 k circuit. That's a car every 100 metres, you know, even less, going around the track. So it's always door-banging. The tiniest mistake a will cost you. If you screw up your strategy, you'll go down a lap very, very quickly. All these things matter when you're racing around such a small track. So, yeah, I've I got to agree. I, that's why, you know, they've, put, they've purchased all this land. One, the track probably doesn't need to be extended. And two, you can't possibly ever get rid of that hairpin. Surely not.
3: Well, it's... Uh one thing that's interesting, we do need to wrap it up here, but just want to get your thoughts quickly. Parity, it's back on the table, Peter. Are we going to be talking about this for a short time or is this going to dis- now dominate discussions for the next you know, three, four years?
10: I think with the diversity of the five manufacturers and the fact that uh, two of them have been in the game for 20 years and that, that we've had 20 years of sorting through parity uh, versus three newcomers, and the newest of the newcomers has jumped straight to the front, uh, parity is a big issue. And I suspect it's going to be the dominant feature for the 2014 season.
3: Mm. What about you, Chad?
10: Yeah, it's disappointing, but it
9: is. You know, I feel like every time we bring in a new manufacturer we just have more parity issues to talk about, whether it's rear end grip, whether it's engines, whether it's aero, we'll always find something. And the problem is... It seems to be harder and harder to find accurate figures right now because all the teams are going to, not lie, but they're going to be very coy about their real results and exactly how fast they are going in a straight line because everybody wants the goalpost to be moved just that little bit closer towards their team. I mean, on the weekend, it looked like the Fords were the quickest in a straight line on in practice. I heard rumours that Chaz Mostert's car was the quickest on Friday practice, or sorry, the fastest in Friday practice. Um, and... Looking at you know how Nissan went on the weekend, you have to say that maybe there is a little bit of an issue along the line. But at the end of the day, we mentioned that number earlier, 0.64 of a second, covering all five manufacturers, all five drivers. How much more parity can you get?
3: Mm, it is it is very close. It'll just be uh, the trimming around the edges that is going to dominate a a lot of discussion. I feel because you've got one team, one team of people at the commission and various supercars looking at engines you've got another one looking at uh aero and i think we're going to have a lot more to come throughout this year uh with that one uh chad nolan pleasure to have you on the show for the first time and look forward to speaking to you again very soon in fact probably on the weekend
9: yeah thanks craig and uh ranger
3: <laughs> yeah and who's going to win winton just before you go
9: Oh, um that's a very good question. Mark me down for Ford's
10: win for the year. Man, it's time oh. for Frosty to step up, I reckon.
3: And Peter, always great catching up with you.
10: Yes, always good fun. And like, you, like we said earlier, 18 years and you still can't get rid of me. Uh, and my tip for Winton, I might go for an unexpected one. Uh, Fabian Coulthard.
3: All right, then. The white flag lap is up next here on the VAT Insiders where we speak to Jack Perkins and interesting discussion about how he manages his diabetes in the race car. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lap brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we hear from Jack Perkins on his return to the main game.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously really great to be back in the series and, you know, a, a lot of reward for a lot of hard work and effort <clears throat> over the last three or four years to get back. So for me, getting back in the championships really really rewarding, but, um, you know, now I've got to do, do the job that I've been employed to do and succeed with results to make sure that I'm here for years to come. Um, You know, the FPR team's been really welcoming to me so far. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we've just lacked a little bit of competitiveness as a whole team uh, to start the year. You know, in particular, say, the Grand Prix, where there's only one car in the top 17 on the grid. So, you know, whenever Mark Winterbottom qualifies 18th, you know that potentially there's a bit of a lack of speed there. So, you know, we've finished every race so far this year. And, um, you know, that's the first goal. But obviously, we need to finish well inside the top 10 and be knocking on the doors of some podiums
3: last time when you were in the v Supercar series it was punctuated by the announcement that you had diabetes and you had to step down. Obviously a, an, a situation and a health issue like that is something that now remains with you for the rest of your life. What was the reaction when you got told and what prompted the even being uh, checking for diabetes?
5: Yeah it's a It's actually a funny story because uh, my actual diagnosis was, the diagnosis date was a lot different to when the public date was. Mm -hmm. So my my diagnosis happened in uh, 2006, and then I raced on, um, you know, without a lot of people knowing that that was the situation. And unfortunately, by the uh, you know by the time I was racing full time, um, results weren't forthcoming, and I was living with a big secret. So I needed to come public with my condition, and it was probably the best thing that I'd done. Looking back on it, I don't like to have excuses, but, you know, when I got back into the main game in 2009, you know, potentially over those couple of years, there was a bit of a, a an issue in terms of being able to drive properly and manage my diabetes properly, but um, I'm not going to use it as an excuse because I never had any bad management problems, but um, now I'm definitely on top of it, and, um, you know, for, for me, life's life's a lot different now, uh, being a type one, you know, five injections a day and constant blood glucose monitoring, but, you know, it could be a lot worse. Did the doctors ever suggest that the high-pressure environments like motorsport may have been the trigger? Um, no. it's, it's the, the motorsport side of things wouldn't have had anything to do with my diagnosis, but, um, you know, for me, I, I got a cold, a really bad flu, and uh, what happens is it's an autoimmune disease, and uh, the bad cells that gave me the flu, once they'd finished that, they then decided to do something else to my body, and uh, they turned on my, my pancreas and shut the organ down and stops creating in, uh, insulin when you eat food. So for me, um, you know, it's it's just luck of the draw. It's normally strong hereditary, but uh, it's not in my family. But, um, you know, my, my diagnosing doctor at the time told me I'd never race cars again. So that's why I didn't actually tell anyone that I had diabetes because for all I know, Craig Lowndes might have had it as well if he hadn't told anyone. So... For me, it was just a matter of doing what I needed to do to do what I wanted to do, which was go car racing. What process do you go through to balance the physical demands of racing with your insulin intake? It's not something that I just do easily. I must, it must be said, but uh, with a lot of management and discipline, um, you know, I've I've been able to race cars. And for me, it all starts the night before I get on the racetrack, where I uh, take a little less insulin in on my long-acting insulin, which is a twenty-four-hour insulin and uh, what it does is then eliminates my chances of running lower throughout the day so normally i aim for between four and six on a blood glucose level and on a race weekend i'm looking for something between six and nine and it puts me at a level where i where i do most of my physical fitness training which is um at a level where i know i'm not going to risk going to hypo which is low and uh you know it's it's through that that my my weekend is really regimented so with all my meals, uh, I take a, a slightly larger portion, um, but maintain the same dose of insulin, so that again my uh, my levels just run at a slightly more uh, at a higher level. Um, and I've also got a a Gatorade drink bottle in the race car along with my water, so when I need to have a top up during the longer races, which to be fair, the longest races are really the Clipsal 500. And a lot of people ask me, how do I go at Bathurst? But A stint at Bathurst is, you know, almost shorter than a sprint race these days because of the way it works. So for me, it's just uh, knowing where I am. A lot of blood glucose testing. I'll nearly test my blood level on a race day 20 to 30 times. Um, So, you know, it's always about knowing where your blood glucose level is and just making sure you're at no risk to not only yourself but to the competitors around you one of the things that you don't know until you meet someone who's got diabetes is the fact that there's no
3: pharmaceutical benefit scheme that helps support insulin support all the products you need to manage your blood sugar levels it seems amazing when there's so many people in australia affected by it that the government isn't supporting supporting it it's basically being supported by industry and other uh, patrons
5: yeah it is frustrating i mean the, the government do a little bit with the needles and the lancets, but um, unfortunately when it comes to uh, the actual blood glucose monitoring and the insulin, there's not a lot of assistance there. I'm lucky that uh, I use AccuCheck mobile uh, blood glucose monitors and, and they're a personal sponsor of mine, but um, you know, the government's got different views than, than other countries, you know, in America it's a much different scenario, the access to technology and different things over there is is, you know, at a, at a greater reach than us. And, uh, you know, the, one of the only other known professional racing car drivers with Type 1 is Charlie Kimball, who races IndyCars. He's sponsored by the insulin companies. And we can't advertise prescription medicine here in Australia, so we can't even promote the good things. So, you know, that's, that's probably a frustrating thing, but I don't think I'm going to have the power to change the government, but just got to keep trying to do what we can to improve, you know, the everyday living for people with Type 1 diabetes. Of course, uh, you're sponsored, as you said, by AccuCheck. Do you
3: get approached by many diabetes products and companies to support them and be an ambassador for them as well?
5: Uh, I, I do and I don't. I mean, for me, it's not about using a particular product f- for a sponsorship agreement. It's about me using the products that I actually use. So that's how my fantastic relationship with AccuCheck started, is I was actually using their, their meters, and I just... Um, I met someone from the company once and told them that I was using their stuff and, you know, I'm happy to tell people that I'm using it and we've just formed a fantastic relationship and for me, you know, like I do a lot of blood glucose testing so to be able to uh, get the, the, the cassettes and the strips for my meters uh, at, a, at a discounted rate is pretty cool so, um, no, but, you know, I just, I, I enjoy also my, my role with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation as an ambassador and um, you know, I just try and give a little back to the community because, unfortunately, it's a it's a disease that doesn't have a lot of role models in the current era. You know, when I first got diagnosed, uh, there was an AFL player, uh, Nathan Bassett from Adelaide, and also an ex-rugby league player, Steve Renouf, who um, who have both had type one. But now in Australian sport, there's uh, yeah, there's not a lot of role models. So. For me, it's about just doing what I can to sort of show to kids that, you know, don't let get in the way of chasing your dreams and, and, and push on. My thanks to Jack Perkins
3: there, also to Chad Naylan and Peter Norton.
5: As the Checker Play waves over another edition of the V8
2: Insiders, till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.